For November 7th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 749. She Construct the Narrative. It's the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are uh, sitting around with our friends, chewing over the uh, the things that that we loved. Pete, want to thank you for holding down. Thank you and thank Jordan for holding down the fort, holding down the the mythical volcano uh, ring forging fort uh, <laughs> last um Last week with podcast on the Rings of Power. Actually, I, I haven't watched the Rings of Power. I've been I've been busy, you know, planning oh. a wedding. <laughs> yeah. uh, so all I could have, all I had time for was House of the Dragon. That was oh, fair enough. We've not watched that one yet. <laughs> yeah, so that's I... what you see. You did that one. You probably did the the more edifying. Um, my my uh, my re- capsule review of House of the Dragon. Uh, it's very soapy. A lot less. Um, a lot less uh, uh, kind of political than than uh, or rather the political things are subsumed into like family struggles or subsumed into into a kind of sibling, a weird Oedipal sibling rivalry. And, uh, you know, the that I mean, I guess that's that's appropriate for for Targaryens. And also um, uh, Matt Smith, my I gotta say my least favorite doctor of the modern era. Matt, Matt Smith. Ooh, is that, a, is that a toasty take? But I like him in everything else I see him in. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good in yeah. this, like just uh, as a performance set aside, you know, set aside what you think of, you know, uh, uh, Song of Ice and Fire generally of the dragon verse, you know, of the Westeros, uh, cinematic universe, tele, televised universe. Um, but like, just if you if you think of being set a uh, set a task and having to do it, Matt Smith, uh, Matt Smith, who is not the subject of the podcast, um, was uh, was really good. Anyway, I I'm a I'm a couple ounces heavier because I got married last week and I wear a ring of power uh, on on my finger. I did appreciate what you and Jordan said about wedding rings being rings of power in that they're the closest thing to a symbolic garment. They're they're closest thing. They they're kind of the closest symbol to your body. I don't know, unless you, 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 uh, tattoo the deathly hollows on your bicep or something like that. And, you know, how's that working out for you these days? But the, uh, yeah, the, the, of, as an item of apparel or as an item of, de- of decoration, it certainly is the most symbolic, um, uh, thing that I have. So I, I appreciate it. Long way around the barn to say, I appreciate you, Pete. Yeah, I appreciate you too, man. It, this was good fun, but it's good to have you back. Uh, well, yeah, we're, we're back and, and it's you and me, Pete. It's a, it's a storied two hander. And the story, uh, the story that, that we, uh, you know, uh, want to talk about is She-Hulk. Have you finished, have have you finished She-Hulk, the, the, the series? One does not, you know, finish She-Hulk. You, there's, there's, it, it would yield to infinite, uh, rewatches and, uh, and various sorts of analysis. No, I've, I've watched the whole thing. Yeah. I like She-Hulk. I finished it. I finished it. I fi- yeah. Um, we finished it. We finished it also. And yeah. uh, so did all of our friends uh, who said that they would be on the episode with us. So the, um, <laughs> the, uh, the Which feels sp- like a She-Hulk plot, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well there, yeah, exactly. They got, they got sucked into other dimensions. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm just going to give a spoiler warning for this one because the thing, you know, some of the stuff, especially as the, the season kind of, 
I mean, is it really a season? Especially as the series, I think the British terminology of series is perhaps more accurate when thinking of how things just drop on, on streaming. Though this, this came out week by week. So my, my whole point is, is destroyed. But the, the, this series of She-Hulk, some things happen later that, that you might not want to, you might actually want to have certain plot things surprise you. So just yeah. going to drop that, drop that, uh, Drop that warning here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I also, I also really enjoyed it. And like, Pete, like one of the things that I appreciated about it, aside from that, that one of the things I appreciated about it that has nothing to do with anything that it is, right? Yeah. Is that the stakes were a lot lower in She-Hulk than mm-hmm. in any other, uh, Marvel property I've seen. Even, even the, like the Hawkeye series they did seem to have like, um well they had to save christmas yeah exactly that's, <laughs> that's a, a pretty big deal christmas is a big deal yeah that's a good point you know <laughs> yeah it was really yeah the christ allegory when they killed jeremy renner and he came back from the dead on a you know his arms splayed out on a big bow on a big bowstring you know that was that was really uh shocking to me a yeah. little a little bit and it it had the it had the third act uh stakes elevation that all of these uh, all of these films seem to have. Um, hey, is this a fascinating movie about a completely, um, completely like bonkers and fascinating uh, techno futurist African society? Uh, no, it's about CGI punching and rhinos in a field. And by the way, there are missiles uh, that are going to destroy the earth. Um, all the Marvel movies have this this kind of this third act elevation that I think is bad because it it's uh I don't know you get numb to it at, at a certain point and like the the parts of She-Hulk that I I feel like I appreciated most were the parts that were most uh Ally McBeal-esque you know right. that and that like the the times where it was a, a a courtroom drama you know and that like it was a courtroom drama set against the um the Marvel Cinematic Universe with with uh, you know superheroes or people who can uh who can punch through walls and and the those were those were kind of the moments that that I enjoyed most I don't know if did you have a similar reaction to it or or uh was your were your favorite parts a little different from that I think I appreciated the word that comes to mind for me is intimacy both in terms of what is missing from the big climaxes at the ends of a lot of these things yeah and then also what I most appreciate about the parts of this show that were compelling and fun, the personal intimate moments, the the performance that leads you into the show as a confidant and kind of close friend of the protagonist of the show, really kind of bringing you down into that level. There's a She-Hulk getting bigger and smaller has something to do with the uh what the, the engaging in a social the parasocial relationship between the 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 protagonist of a story like this and the audience being a product of being drawn to their bigness as opposed to their intimacy right it's it's the it's the bon jovi versus death cap for cutie question <laughs> like it's, it's like uh, yeah, yeah the, the age old i think plato yes. i think in the republic plato <laughs> uh talked about the bon yes. jovi versus death cap for cutie question. yes yes exactly like both of them talk about you know heaven and frustration and but one of them screams and one of them talks more gently and uh-huh. i like how that's the dichotomy i reach for that's the one that i think about uh, but i'm sure that they, you can frame it in a lot of ways but the, the point being that it sort of pulls you into her home you know the the camera brings you into her immediate space and she talks to you in a comfortable way that feels 
Uh, I'm not going to say authentic because, you know, just drill, un- undoing that. No, it's totally realistic. I mean, like, that is how Hulks yeah. talk. Yeah, yeah. That is, that <laughs> is real how life. Hulks speak. In, it's when like House speak of the Dragon, Matt. It's historical. That's why it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's how it really happened with dragons. Uh, no, yeah, but just the, the intimacy of it is is really nice. I, I mean, a movie that had that a lot that I appreciated was Shang-Chi, right? And the legend of the, I forget how many rings it was. Uh, but it but it totally loses it by the end because there's this there's the dragon and there's the flying around. And yeah, well, there's two dragons and they have they have this pearl. They gotta hey, yeah. <laughs> I gotta I gotta go I gotta go see a dragon about a pearl. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw something recently where that was where that very much happened, and I I just I I, I just was losing it. I think it was it was an episode of Blaze and the Monster Machines, which I now talk about every episode of the of the podcast, where there was a a stone guardian lion who's like. Pen, whose solar pendant of animation had been stolen by a, a, an avaricious and uh, undisciplined monster truck. So the blue monster truck and the red monster truck were like chasing after this, uh, this, this, this stone, this magical stone for awakening the flying guardian lion. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, this is the, this is, this is the plot of skyscraper guys. This is what, <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, the, uh... <laughs> but yes, the intimacy of the bus fight, the intimacy of sneaking around the, the office building with Aquafina, all of those little personal moments that you get pulled into that make these movies feel uh, like more than just special effects spectaculars when they're working. I mean, the the classic scene that I love so much, uh, the action sequence where, you know, Captain America's fighting the Hydra agents one-on-one while Iron Man is trying to get the engine working and you're seeing it all from like pretty close up and you get to sort of see every flip and every, and every, uh, every surge of energy, you know, it's, it's uh even just the sounds and the the sense of heaviness as it's portrayed in the John Favreau first Iron Man movie that sort of kicks the whole thing off has this sense of you're close to it and and what does it mean that you're close to it and so with She-Hulk I think I mean with with the Incredible Hulk movies and TV shows and everything we're all familiar with it and being close to the Hulk means being close to danger and torture and, and emotional distress and uh so, you know, psychological, you know, narrativization and the breakdown of psychological narrativization. I mean, if you think about the uh, the scene of Eric Bana, you know, wiping the smoke away from the mirror and seeing the Hulk's face and it's and it's you're in the bathroom with him, you know, after he took a shower. Uh, and this is this is a very personal sort of moment. I mean, I'm not I'm used to intimacy in Hulk stories, but she Hulk, she had to present it in a different way. You know, it's it's a different sort of Hulk story. It's a different sort of intimacy. And uh, it would have been nice if she well she did hold on to it more all the way through in, in a way that say WandaVision really didn't. Sure. WandaVision had a ton of intimacy, immense I mean immense amounts of intimacy through the entire show, and then just kind of bailed on it in the last episode. Because I mean, yeah, but it, well, it kind of it went to that cinematic scale, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it sort of zoomed out. The the I I forget where I read this, but I I read a story about someone traveling with oh Brad Pitt and George Clooney maybe traveling together. Maybe I'm inventing that pairing, but actually it's the perfect pairing to illustrate yeah. what I was talking about. And it was probably Clooney being interviewed because he seems affable. <laughs> you know, he seems <laughs> like agreeable and he does interviews and actually says things in them. And um like when once he slagged off Leonardo DiCaprio because he didn't doesn't is not good at playing basketball and George Clooney was like you know I I have some guys we play at the Hollywood Y and Leo was like yeah come up to come up to our house and and play this was in like a Vanity Fair article or something we but you know George we're pretty serious we take this pretty seriously 
And, uh, you know, they, they roll up and, uh, they're like running a couple drills. Leo and his team are running a couple drills, uh, says George Clooney in this interview. And obviously I'm on a first name basis with both of them. And there's like, it took us about 15 seconds of watching them run these drills in, in, you know, Leo's driveway court, uh, to be like, yeah, we're going to slaughter them. Which is, which is what we proceeded to do. And he went on to say, like, I really try to keep people in my life who like, who keep me tethered to reality. And I'm not sure Leo has that anymore, has that anymore. But George Clooney talked about, uh, like traveling with, with Brad Pitt because, you know, I think they are their friends and they uh they were like everyone you know when they were in an airport together they were in public together at something and Clooney gets mobbed and no one approaches Brad Pitt because Clooney's a TV star and Brad Pitt's a movie star right mm-hmm. and a TV star comes into your comes into your house is uh. like you know is intimate is in your living room is there is an intimacy right to that to that relationship and it's a it's a much more repeated relationship like they come to you every week like on their mm-hmm. their things as opposed to like you go to the movie theaters now i i wonder how that will collapse with you know a lot more media being uh consumed being screened inside people's houses or on people's phones like is it more intimate uh i i think it is more intimate because of the interactivity with social media stars but also maybe because you have like you have them on a personal screen that's being like held you know held like a communion wafer in your hand and like uh uh, and and put up to your put up to your face. But I will say that like that intimacy that you're talking about wouldn't work without the fourth wall breaking, right? It like it wouldn't work without the like the direct address to camera. And I I uh, I got to give it to Tatiana Maslany. They're like she does this really really well. Oh yeah, she was uh, so good at her asides and everything. Oh uh, so good. She's another one. Were you an orphan back a black viewer? Uh, no no. I, I that's where I became aware of her. Uh, loved her in that. She was uh, the Canadian kind of sci-fi uh, TV show, and they she played multiple roles in it. Um, was she the one who played multiple roles, or did everybody play? I don't know how many people played how many roles in that show, but it seems like a lot. There, uh, I think there were two people who played okay. multiple roles, but she gotcha. was the the main one. There was so she a, was the star of Orphan Black. Yeah, she was the star of Orf- Orphan okay. Black, and like the thing, I guess it's it's pre Ghost Ship, so you you probably know this. They're all clones. She plays all. Right. It's a like a sci fi cloning thing, and so they're all genetically the same, which is how they they cast it all with one actress. It's it's pretty good the way that they do it. I mean, I I, I guess if you were looking for where the wires are, where the little fishing line is, like you could probably find it, but like there are moving shots with like six of her in it. And it's, it's accomplished pretty well, uh, in my humble opinion, but, um, she's just this like instinctive actress and manages to make all of these people, uh, really all these characters really different. And then just comes into this and can like turn to the camera and talk with this, with this naturalness. And like the, the, um, you know, if if you think, oh, it's, you know, it's easy. You just do you play yourself. There's something Belinky used to say, like, oh, they're just playing themselves, right? Like, it's like, that, yeah, that's not, that's not, that doesn't make it easier. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, like, yeah. Turn turn a camera on people you know, just to see how hard it is to play your, to play yourself. I like, I, I, I submit to you every Instagram selfie. I submit to you like every social media post as evidence that most people play themselves very, very badly. And that it is still a, it's still a hard thing to do. And I feel like, I feel like she nails it. Like you get, you do get, you sort of form a, a relationship with her through the screen and it kind of softens 
the the meta edge, you know. And I guess we are all we are all children of the meta, you know. We're all children of postmodernism, right? We're we're fourth wall breaking or you know uh, disrupting conventions, you know, commenting on conventions of narrative in in the narrative like doesn't. Um, phase us anymore the way the way it might have phased James Joyce's audience or something like that but uh you know i i feel i feel like it softens the effect of all the meta fourth wall breaking kind of meta narrative stuff to have it be done in such an affable way right in such a friendly manner um sort of tossed off over the shoulder as though you're being kind of drawn into uh, drawn into a conversation. I mean, do you, did you respond to the meta, uh, the meta aspects of, of, of She-Hulk or were you just there for the, for the, uh, smash? Oh, I definitely responded to it. I definitely responded to it. And like you talked I, back to the television when she would talk, you responded to I it. I mean, like, we, she, we, the show was happening for only me. Right. And that's, that's how it was working. And I was having a conversation with She-Hulk in my house with it's my a wife. different, it's an AI generated different show for everyone yeah. who, you know, <laughs> With, I have a two-year-old in my home, and that's literally how he perceives reality, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is different aspects of him, and he's the only person capable of thought. We're gonna, we're, the pretend-to-play stuff that leads to theory of mind is, is in, in process, in process. Right. So, yes, but, uh, but yes, um, I had thoughts about the meta stuff, and I particularly – it's interesting that you brought up postmodernism because I definitely wanted to talk about this a little bit. Uh, the – I want to talk about deconstruction, and I wanted to talk about Crank Two. Okay, if that's okay. So, yes. So, if I may, if I may go on a brief digression about Crank Two. Now, are these I, yeah. are these two topics, or is this? I want to talk about deconstruction, and I want to talk about Crank Two, or is it? I want to talk about deconstruction and Crank Two. <laughs> the that... movie is called Crank as well, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to use this as a contrast because we talk about meta and. It's both a comparison and a contrast because of the specificity of the things that felt similar, while also the scope of the things that felt different. And and I and also because I think that there's something about masculine versus feminine spaces, not in terms of the genders of the people participating in them, as much also as the uh, the sort of cultural orientation of of the uh, cultural orientation is the wrong word, but you know what I'm talking about the mm. the kind of the uh, the the meta narrative constructed. Uh, you know, notion of of gender norm and gender poetry, as it were, uh, that is associated with each of these different works. She Hulk wants to be a female show, I would say. Right? It, it's uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it wants to be a feminine show, but it is a show that is concerned with the female, and I think that this locates it in reference to other works in interesting ways. Uh, but but anyway, I want to talk about Crank Two for just a hot second. So you're familiar with Crank One, right, Matt? I I am. Uh, right. And our our hero Chef Chelios. Yes. So Chef Chelios played, of course, by the imitable Jason Statham, imitable but never comparable Jason Statham. And uh, it's a it's a baroque to the point of almost parody, a sort of post classic, you know, you could call it postmodern uh, action movie about a uh, a hitman or a sort of like crime dude who uh, his his um, his heart stops. Right. And he has to he has to maintain he has a drug injected into his heart and he has to maintain uh, adrenaline. Right. And like a heart rate. It's like speed, but with a person where he has to maintain his like heart rate and adrenaline above a certain level or else he will die. And uh, the instant that he calms down, he will die. 
And this means that whatever he's going to do, it has to be in a very short period of time, uh, which, of course, jogs along the, the movie. Uh, and he decides to use this time to find out who did this to him in exact vengeance, which he manages to do, you know, while hurtling out of a helicopter many thousands of feet above the ground because, hey, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Right. Uh, and he does all sorts of crazy things. Right. He does very silly things. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, I have to like I can't ride a cab across town. I have to ride on the roof of the cab. Because if my adrenaline goes down, I die. Right. And so it's 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 and there's like, oh, I got to find my girlfriend and have sex with her, uh, you know, while I'm waiting for this thing that's going to happen in 15 minutes, because if I don't do something exciting, then I'm going to die. Right. So like and that's how Crank goes. And it's the um, it's the filmmaking pair of Neville Dean and Taylor who did it. And I really wish that they did more stuff. Uh, I don't know what happened to them, um, but uh I don't yeah, I don't know what happened to them, whether one of them like got sick or died or something. But they haven't really made a movie together since uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. I guess other people don't consider that to be like a seminal work of <laughs> film filmmaking genius like I do. Uh, but yes. So so Crank is like that. Right. Crank is like but it's still very it's still sort of within the world and reality that's established as a action movie. And there are, you know, fourth wall breaking moments but it's 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 sort of like a comfortable sort of meta place that everybody's kind of been to before. And the the music video and intensity style of it is notable. You get to crank two and they have to raise the stakes and they do this by going way beyond the scope of what's absurd. So, of course, at the end of crank one, you know, spoilers, Chev Chelios falls out of a helicopter thousands of feet and dies uh, and in crank one. And then crank two, he is scooped up off the pavement <laughs> Um by the uh, by the mafia, the Chinese mafia, I believe it's the triads mm -hmm. that do it, because anyone who could have survived what he survived must have super body parts. And so they decide that they want to scoop him up and take his heart away because the like head of the of the mafia or whatever wants his heart. Uh, and so they replace his heart with a with an artificial heart uh, while they're doing the the operations on him to remove his organs. And he wakes up and murders the people doing this to him. And now the concept of the movie is, is the same but different, wherein he has to maintain electrical charges of certain voltages mm -hmm. in his body in, or else he will die. And he's still a human being. So he has to go from like place to place and moment to moment while constantly like electrifying himself in various ways, whether it's by like wearing a battery or like, you know, biting down on jumper cables of a car. Uh, there is this whole scene and this, this, of course, leads to situations that are much more absurd than the situations that happen in Crank 1, mm. where uh, he has to he goes to a racetrack and he starts humping everybody on the racetrack in the hopes that his the sweaters that people are wearing will create static electricity that will, like, stimulate his heart, his yep. artificial heart, and the blood's work. Now, about two-thirds of the way through Crank, I have too high voltage. And, you know, don't quote me on exactly when it happens. It really starts going off the rails. I mean, that... that <laughs> That wasn't going off the rails so far. I love. Well, I mean, what happens when it really starts going off? So oh, you, they have a bunch of missiles pointed at all the countries of the world, and they have to get to the CGI punching, and a rhino comes into the field, and so how, like, so like, you start. There's this echoing of how much all of the people that have known this guy in his life hate him. That kind of echoes in his head that you hear, and you start seeing like not just fictionalized but absurd scenes from like his childhood mm. uh, and in particular like like i think he appears as a child on an episode of jerry springer where he's being interviewed about why everyone hates him so much right and and it's like it's not it's not in the reality of the movie 
Hmm. Right. It's outside the reality of the movie, but it's this this uh, it's deconstructive. It's like this is a dimension of this character. This is a sort of Freudian arrested development masculine character. We're going to roll him back to his childhood and the things that he's trying to compensate for by doing all these things. Then they go to another scene where he fights uh, a bad guy in a power plant and they cut away from it and they come back and there are it's like they make it a kaiju fight where it's two people wearing giant fake masks like fake heads of Jason Statham and the other guy doing like slow motion punching in like a power plant that's around their chest level made out of cardboard boxes. Right? And like, and, and so it's like they're breaking the reality of the movie and it, and it ends with him electrifying himself uh, for the final battle on a transformer on a telephone pole so much that he literally catches on fire. And like, while he is on fire, he is like being the final bad guys. And then he turns to the camera with his face on fire and gives the finger to the audience. Um, and this is sort of like how Crank 2 sort of proceeds, right? Um, and it's similar to She-Hulk in a lot of ways. I want to go back to talking about She-Hulk um, because in the movement, and then you get to the third Crank movie, which is Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. And it's like, we're going to take these concepts that we have pulled away from the failing coherence of this character, and we're going to embody them as a sort of new mythology to kind of reconstruct the idea of like what these sorts of people are. That's like what spirit of vengeance is about. But in crank Two, like everything's coming apart Mm. and, and there's also, there's a sense of fatigue that the whole series is dealing with. Like you're bored of other movies that are like this. And also of just, just sort of bafflement at the scope of maladaption that has to happen in order for us to get to this point. Like how many things have to be weird and bad about people in order for us to get to the point where we're watching hours of dudes machine gunning each other in front of like, you know, ice sculptures with, you know, bikini models getting like falling into pools off of skyscrapers. Like, like where did we get to this point? And I think that she Hulk is engaging with this question too. Like, how did we get here? What is it that we have done to arrive at the place that we're at? And and I think that it is a comfortable thing, even going back to like Ubu, where, you know, literally tearing apart the protagonist or sort of like showing the strings of the puppets and kind of reminding everybody that's a show and reminding everybody that the power structures that the show is depicting are, you know, subject to critique. Right. Um, but but so much of the time when I see stories like this, it's about this sort of raging conflagration with the power structure and and this 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 idea of like if i just agitate myself so much and i get so angry then the power structure will kind of yield to me all right and but by of course what we know is that in doing so we're reenacting and recreating the power structures that sort of precede the power structures that we're talking about like <sighs> by which i mean like you know, the existence of the toxic masculine mafia is predicated on the existence of the toxic masculine hero, right? Who like, and as such, like, you cannot, you know, really truly defeat the mafia that harvests your organs by catching yourself on fire and throwing them all off of skyscrapers, right? Like, it's it's all part of the same constructed cultural notion. And so I, I say that because, like, the crank stuff, it's all super duper absurd. and And it feels familiar in how it's, it's sort of like reality is cracking under the pressure. And the thing that was interesting to me the most about the fourth wall breaking in She-Hulk was that it isn't a like full on Bridget Jones's diary, right? It's not like full on 
you know, you and me are friends and you are going to sort of hear about the way that this story works from me because, you know, diegetically, like you and I are friends, right? Like, like she doesn't go that far. She's still in a Marvel thing, right? And you're still sitting at home. Like you are not like really her friend. Um, but it also doesn't go to the whole point of, you know, Marvel has actually driven me insane <laughs> and like, and like my reality is coming apart. Um, I mean, I guess what it's like part of it is that the meta reality that she hulk experiences when she comes out of literally like comes out of your television. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so she she like they go to the app, right? They go to the Disney Plus app and she comes out of her application and she go she comes out of her show and she goes into a different show. <laughs> and and that in another kind of story, this might be like, haha, look, you know, this whole reality is just a construction of shows. None of them are real. Like, doesn't this madden you? Right. Isn't this whole power structure something that's just fundamentally perverse? Right. And we but, all need but, to resist. Keith, help, help me. How do I escape this endless chain of signification? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, how do I escape? No, you you don't escape Disney Plus. You just watch a different show. Right? Like you don't you don't like there's no point in which in watching Disney Plus, you're like, you know, I, 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 I better stop watching, you know, like, aha, I've learned that watching Disney Plus is bad for me. I mean, this is this is sort of like this would be interesting if we had both seen Andor, which I have not seen Andor. Um, but it would be an interesting contrast with Andor because She-Hulk is also about literature of rebellion. Uh, from what I hear, Andor is about rebellion. And, I haven't watched it. Yet. And and or what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And or what? Indeed. Um <laughs> But like there's rebellion and there's a literature of rebellion and then there's the bill of goods people sell you when they try to convince you that the literature of rebellion necessitates rebellion independently of your experience of what's going on around you. Right. Like the idea of like, you know, don't you want to be like Chev Chelios? And it's like, no, he's too miserable. Right? Like everyone hates him. Yeah, I don't want to go around shooting people. I don't want to be like Neo from the Matrix. He's miserable. Right. Um, but but She-Hulk isn't doing that. And I think part of the brilliance of that is of course that women don't get to do that in their power structure as much as you know uh, men might fantasize that they might be able to do it really mm-hmm. right like and again this is the kind of thing where I wish I mean I wish cognac were on this this is like right up her alley I wish I I wish I talked to her about um, you know what she thought about this show um, to to get permission from an actual woman to have your to have your uh, feelings. Well, no, but I, I want to know how affecting and upsetting this is. Like that's that's I think because because here's the thing, like the premise backing way up into superhero town and, and you know, stepping away from that that uh, divergence for a little bit that um, I like superhero movies where the superpowers that the hero has are pertinent to the story in a symbolic way. Not just in a literal way, but in a symbolic way. That's to me is when superhero stories start being interesting to me. Mm-hmm. The only reason that you should have a person that can do crazy absurd things is because you want to depict those crazy absurd things, right? Like that's it's like the spectacle. It's this that second item of of uh, Aristotle's poetics, right? It's like this: you want to create the spectacle that's associated with the superpower. Therefore, the visual vocabulary of your movie is going to be dominated by the visual vocabulary of the superpower. Therefore, the superpower should mean something in the context of the movie. Mm -hmm. And so there are movies like this that I really like that are really fun. And then there are movies like this that really bore me and like don't do it and really irritate me. So like, you know, Iron, the first Iron Man is a good example of this because he's literally got a he's got an iron shell 
around himself. And that's like Tony Stark's psychology. And then that's also his privilege. Right. And this idea of like being in the iron shell, but also going out into danger and that the sort of tension between those two things is, is that's in, that's in, you know, the sure. First I mean, you, ta- you talk about it. You talk about it a lot, even in non-superhero movies, with yeah. uh, with like the Justin Lin. Uh, yes, because yes, I love Justin Lin. Yeah, cinematic yes, exactly. technique where there is yeah. a there's a relationship between the kind of the spatial orientation of people in critical moments of the movie or in kind of high impact moments of the movie and the the sort of themes of the movie. So the you know the obvious one is it, that that you bring up a lot is is um, Star Trek Beyond. Yes. Uh, where I'm sorry, I forget the I forget the names. That's okay. Um, Which I love. Uh, yeah, uh, Star Trek suit uh, yeah. is the one, <laughs> right? Where they're they're all wearing these Adidas tracksuits, and it's about conformity. You know, yeah. Uh, no, it's a uh, you know Star Trek Beyond is about being out beyond you know easy orientation and like not knowing where you fit or kind of what you're doing out there. And then it, it takes place in a little literal zero gravity, you know, uh, uh, sphere or something like ender, ender battle dome sphere, uh, where there is no up and there is no down and it's all, you know, the, the directions are, you know, whatever you make of them. So that's the, uh, you know, that's the, uh, the non superhero version of, of, um, the sort of thing that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so that, that there's, I mean, yes, in good art, there should be a real, in good cinematic art, there should be a relationship between the visual presentation yeah. of the thing and the thing of the, of the dramatic work that you're, that you're hopefully yeah. creating. Yeah. A counter example is like King Arthur, legend of the sword. Another movie I saw for this podcast, wherein like the most stirring visual vocabulary is elephants, which has like nothing to do with King Arthur. Right? So it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the sword, eh, the elephants are really what I remember from that movie. Uh, but yes, but She-Hulk, right? And of course, in the Hulk, in the Hulk stuff, this is all obvious because the Hulk has a very big gesture that he does, which is he has two of them, right? He smashes and he, he hulks out and he smashes. Uh, and so She-Hulk, of course, the thing that makes her different from Hulk is that she never, she's always, she's always been Professor Hulk, right? Like, I mean, again, I'm sure there are exceptions. There is an infinite number of comic books over an infinite time period in infinite universes. But when I think of She-Hulk, I think of somebody who is like a little bit not as strong as Hulk, but is like never going to go and kill a hundred civilians, right? Like she is smart. I think she's a member of the Fantastic Four at one point, right? She's together. And the main thing that she's kind of angry about is, is like social things, not necessarily like friends and stuff, but it's like, she's a feminist hero because she is irritated and annoyed by the way her life treats her. And the, and the men around her treat her. Well, sort of, so, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I read that. It, it was interesting. They really said, they really put the, the subtext out there, like in the, in the very first episode, the kind of the, the social critique subtext. And I think it's, I think it's interesting. Like, um, I think it's interesting to kind of piece, piece out how exactly it works. Cause I, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure it's so simple as I, you know, as I turn it over, as I turn it over in my mind. So she's good at hulking, right? She's not, uh, she's not subject to the same kind of dangers that Mark Ruffalo is subject to. Not just because she's maybe slightly less powerful, like she's she's maybe like an eighty-seven, eighty-eight if he's a hundred, right? Right. Because because she could still do a lot of damage if she were minded to. Yeah. Uh, her Hulk powers are are sufficient, <laughs> you know, right. to doing that. But that she's she's good at hulking. She has a fluency with. Not just, you know, destroying things willy nilly, uh, Hulk style because, um, she lives in 
she lives as a woman in this society. And the thing that she posits and the thing she says explicitly is to be a woman in this society, like is to every day face uh, to have to negotiate somehow uh, a kind of fury um, that, that, you know, the, the circumstances and other people's behavior and, you know, the, 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 you know, the way the, um, kind of power structures sort of play out in every interaction you have. Like it, if you, uh, if you watch, if you experience that and you're not furious, you're not paying attention. And so that she has become a master and, and she kind of posits that like every woman, right, is, has become a master at managing, that anger and so being a hulk is kind of not all that big a deal to to her at least that's that's how i read the thesis i mean like she's mm-hmm. good at hulking because of her uh she's that is to say she's not destroyed by the superpower her whole like you know it doesn't trigger this whole uh crisis of of conscience and this whole kind of who am i uh because she's been living under these conditions her whole life and that that's like that that's the the i think the interesting thing there is about uh the word i wanted to put on it is fluency right she has a fluency in um she has a fluency in kind of negotiating the society she the society she has a fluency in hulking she has a kind of a fluency in in the courtroom and she achieves a kind of fluency in the meta meta narrative um aspects uh aspects of the story and to me i don't know that's that to me that's how the that plot that kind of like uh theme i should say kind of cashed out uh cashed out through the through the entire thing right so like it it wasn't even necessarily a sense of hey how did we uh, how did we get here? How did we, I don't know. How did we break down, you know, the, the Hulk, the, um, the, the, uh, toxic anger Hulk is predicated on the, the, you know, structure of, of injustice and toxic anger and, and all that stuff. Um, it, it's, uh, I don't know. It's a weird subversion of that, that, uh, that, that they really hang a lantern on, right? It's not, you know, it's a, they, they basically say it. It's basically the thesis statement of the first, uh, of the first episode and how that, you know, I don't know how that, um, uh, how that plays out over the course of the the first uh, series is, is pretty interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. Now, I mean, um, to to correct a little bit of what I said before, I think the baseline of the character, and this is an interesting contrast, is that she prefers to be Hulk. Mm. That she likes the power of right. being in her Hulk form, and so she just decides to stay that way. Now, here's a fun little factoid: What modern day major superhero celebrity cures She Hulk? Of her, because because in the original She-Hulk story, I mean, if you were to discuss it in terms of of cultural criticism, it becomes more of a biopower story. You mean you mean in the I, I have no familiarity with the comics, so I won't. Yeah, be able I'm, to I'm just guess. I'm looking up reference online and stuff. So, but but who which which modern day cinematic major celebrity do you think helps she, fixes She-Hulk such that she is does not go uncontrollably angry? when she and doesn't like hulk out when she gets angry but rather is able to control her hulk form and stay in it permanently oh well that's interesting so it happens differently in the comics yeah, uh, I, yeah. I don't know i give up you tell me it's morbius morbius morbs all over her oh interesting it's, yeah, it's apparently apparently morbius so apparently it's the idea is that it's a blood thing right is that like she has hulk blood 
And that is in this story, too. But in this story, the blood is framed as a family relationship. She has Hulk blood and that she is Hulk's uh, cousin. And in similar way to what you would expect from a modern family story, a lot of the similarities that people have in families are kind of disavowed. You know, it's like they're funny, they're minor. I'm not really just like him. I'm just his cousin. Right. Just because we're just because we're related doesn't mean we're the same. We're not in a, a cultural mode here where the family is seen as a sort of sovereign entity that expresses its you know personality and will and preferences down through its individual members, that every member of the Banner family, you know, carries the sigil of the of the Green Hulk. Right. And and has to uh, and goes to Hulk Hulk or Hulk uh, every winter for the dragons or something like that. But no, it's. um. But no, it's it's that she has a blood disease in the same way that the Hulk has like an irradiated disease. And they get away from that by having Morbius fix her. And they're like, no, 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 no. We don't want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> and that's awkward, right? Like, Because the idea that she got a blood transfusion and then sort of then you have the idea of like a savage woman and her blood makes her savage and it happens periodically. It's like, ah, we're in a kind of a place here. We don't want to be. I Does she have to? I mean, do, are, are the the blood transfusions on some kind of like recurring schedule? No, no, no. She only got them once. Oh, got it. She doesn't have she got, to like, you know, she gets one once and then next eh, a few weeks later. She, oh, got it. OK. Never no, it's not like an in this in this show. It's, <laughs> it's, it's accidentally mixed. Right. But but no, in, in this one, it's it, in the original. She actually gets a full on blood transfusion from Bruce Banner. And that's what does it. But it, the, the point being that, like, the source material is that she Hulk is permanently Hulk because the uh, once she no longer has the sort of like blood disease which you can sort of frame as a you know kind of hysteria analog a kind of biopower anti-feminist notion of like women just have feelings right once they get rid of that and they make her more modern she wants to be powerful and assertive and in control of her life and so she stays as hulk all the time whereas in this story she hulk stays as she hulk reluctantly just because there's like no particular consequence to it and and she needs to for her job like she likes it it's fine but she doesn't have she doesn't struggle with it. Not that much, uh, like a little bit here and there in an Ally McBeal sort of way. Right. But but the main thing is yet because she copes with anger all the time, then she's able to control her Hulk form better than Bruce is, which is a joke. You know, right. It's like it's and I'm not saying it's a joke because she, there's no possible way she's better at than Bruce Banner. I just mean that, like, there's there's no possible way that um, not no possible way, but it's unlikely that being subjected to. Uh, degradation and things that make you angry all the time, like actually makes you like feel really fine. <laughs> like, like, like I'm sure it comes out in other ways for most people, uh, for most people, period. Right. Everybody gets angry sometimes. And that's why the Hulk is interesting. But yes, I think you, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of how it's supposed to work is that she's supposed to, she is supposed to have mastery of her Hulk dynamic because she has been forced to by experience. Uh, because of the way in which society constantly makes her angry. Mm -hmm. uh, and if she were not capable of controlling it, it's sort of a Hulk anthropic principle, right? If she were not capable of controlling her anger, she would not have been able to have become an attorney, and therefore she can't be She-Hulk attorney at law because she wouldn't have been attorney at law in the first place. Uh, not as a woman, right? Um, definitely as a dude because the dudes have much lower standards. That's the notion, right? But I guess what I'm trying to get away from, get, get from here is that the environment that makes her angry that she has coped with already mm -hmm. is the is in the place of the 
it's that that is what comprises the area outside of the fourth wall is is the the our knowledge of the environment that makes people like her in real life angry, which she speaks to <laughs> the idea of like, I don't get to be in my own show. I have random dudes tell me how to do my job. Right. Like all this stuff is really infuriating and stupid. Like we are all familiar with this stuff. But this stuff has already been incorporated into her character, and we're told that it, that she's okay with it. I mean, it's not it's not not that she's like fine, not that she's always happy with what happens, but that it's not tearing apart her reality. She's achieved a mastery over her reaction to it, such that she's not going to hulk out and and injure a whole bunch of people. And I wonder. So here's a question for you about this, and it's so that the the um the reason that I was contrasting it to Crank was that. The area that falls within the story includes the dimensions that are being quote unquote deconstructed to the point that it doesn't feel like a deconstruction anymore. It just feels like a story that has multiple levels of reality, each of which are participating in, in these fictions sort of whole, wholeheartedly um, rather than kind of fighting against itself. But but the other side of it is when She-Hulk at the end of the penultimate episode punches the TV. What's happening? Mm-hmm. What is happening? Um, and I'll, I'll say it because, because I, we did not, we did not buy it, right? My wife and I watching it did not buy that moment. And I feel like that moment is between two different options that there's possibly two different things that could be happening there. Mm. Uh, and there's a third thing, which is what would normally happen. So like the third thing that would normally happen is that people would be really embarrassed and the person who's running the show would like shut things down and apologize. She would apologize. People, there would be hubbub about it for a little bit. Someone would come out and play it off as a joke and it would be fine. Right. Cause all she did was punch the TV. You know, she could, she could say something like, you know, Oh, you know, uh, you know, it's a uh, bad. I've seen that show anyway. Right. Yep. Like, ah, ha, ha, ha. we're at a professional dinner. Nobody is trying out here trying to embarrass themselves. You know, there have certainly been people who get up in award shows and say stupid things or embarrass themselves and everybody just kind of laughs it off. Right. And I that's, mean, that's what happened at the Oscars. That's yes, exactly. Oscars. Exactly. Yeah. At the Oscars, somebody did this and everybody's like, ha ha, you know, like whatever. And that's not because the Oscars, the people at the Oscars are strictly indifferent to the suffering of other human beings. It's because you're there to perform a part and you're already in the mode of performing the part when you're at the professional awards ceremony. And breaking the reality to do something else is just not something that happens all that easily or quickly. Um, so that's one thing. The other two realities are that She-Hulk has heretofore maintained a mastery over the things in her life that make her angry. But at this point, the the intelligentsia people get to her so much that she loses her handle as Hulk, which would be like a pretty big deal, mm -hmm. right? That like this whole time she's had a handle on being Hulk. Mm -hmm. And 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 I guess what the way if you were really to double down on this plot, it would be like these are people who are trying to figure out how to crack her self-control mm -hmm. um, and, and because they know that the that the weakness of the Hulk is is his self-control. And, and if you can if you can get through his self-control, then he'll destroy himself and he'll destroy his team. Right. He'll tear everybody apart. That's what Loki did in the first Avengers movie. Um that was his plan, right? When he, when he was, when he was getting captured. Um, and so, but, but, you know, but then in this case, it's like, well, she doesn't really seem like she fully loses her composure, but it feels like it would need to really double down on like making her suffer or like really kind of getting her goat. Uh, and, and we never really get to that point. And then the second one is like, she doesn't mean anything like that. The punch is in an innocent mistake, but everybody else freaks out. 
and thinks that like, oh my God, it's the Hulk, which they don't really have any basis to think at this point. Sure. Like she has then nor have we come to understand. She's already that like she already, you know, did it in the, the courtroom. Right. And it was like largely fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah it was right, good. Like, celebrated. Everybody liked it. Yeah. She was a big she was a big hit. That's why they called her She-Hulk. Right. Sure. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah, it doesn't. It does. I, I, I sort of I sort of get it. I feel like it's it was supposed to be your, your sort of first option, not the sort of, not the normal option, not the, uh, not the option where like, Uh everyone have to buy a new TV. Oops. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Taking that out of your billable hours, right? Like that. (laughs) 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 It's like, Oh, it looks like I've committed a tort. Is there a lawyer in the house? (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, but that, that not, not that, but your, your other first one where it's like, oh, she's, she's really lost control. I think it was supposed to be that, right? Like I, yeah. it, it was supposed to have that, um, emotional valence and it just, it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't big enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if you need to keep the character likable. And so she can't do anything really bad or something like, but I don't know there, because there were, there were almost no consequences to, to, yeah. uh, you know, there were almost no consequences to what to what she did. And I mean, like, I guess like, but wasn't it also, you know, uh, I don't know. It was really what what they were after was not totally coherent. Right. Because they wanted to, like, uh, revenge porn her. You know, they wanted to um, uh, like get her to flip they 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 also wanted to like take her blood so that they have so that they can be hulks also so it's not necessarily like we're going to you know i don't know it's 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 uh like like any program of misogyny its aims are not totally coherent because they're driven they're driven by unconscious rage and not by a reasoned uh you know not by a reasoned program of social change or anything like that um but that yeah i mean the and I, I sort of, I took this scene. I mean, I, I took this scene. It, it's funny when you read it the way, uh, when you read it the way you're reading it, which is the way it was. Yeah, it seems unsatisfying. Unsatisfying. I had some head canon about this scene, or some like some head thematic uh, canon, I guess, uh, about this scene, which is that it had to do. It really was a sort of uh, a thematic moment, right? Which is to say that that. Um, you know, I, as a as a woman in this culture, like living under these these social conditions, um, no matter how powerful you are, you're you're still uh, you can, you still can't escape um, the the bad effects of misogyny. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that that her fluency with anger, uh, because everything everything is pissing her off all the time uh, is the 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 kind of the power fantasy of of being able to being able to smash right like is not um uh is not enough uh to be that that is to say you can't uh, uh, you can't smash your way out of a non a, 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 you can't smash your way out of a problem when smashing is the problem uh, mm-hmm. that, that is to say the the, uh, you, you can't just bring a, a bigger gun to the gunfight and end gunfights. Uh, yeah. That's forever. the Chev Chelios problem. That right. We were talking about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, exactly. That causes Chev Chelios's reality to come apart. Um, um crank yeah. Two. R- right. Uh, crank two, a spirit of vengeance. <laughs> yes. Yes. Crank, crank two, uh, 
uh, crank to oblivion. Yes, exactly. That that's um, <laughs> yeah. That, so so to like, and I was like, uh, honestly, I was operating on that thematic level, and so I I was not really uh, sensible of the the totally reasonable criticism that you uh that you raise which is that that moment doesn't work as a um that moment doesn't work as kind of an emotional catharsis and it's kind of it's kind of related pete to the i don't want to say problem because i i i like this show but it 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 uh is related to my ambivalent reaction about the denouement of the show which is that like some of it was great like the you know knocking out of the knocking out of the disney plus um UI mock-up that they had. Uh that was pretty great. Like the stuff that that uh Kevin Feige is actually a a um is like a robot. It's like a Star Wars surgery robot, you know, with all the, the spider arms and the all the many eyes and stuff like that. Like that was uh that was great and stuff like okay transform but do it off camera because that will save us money. Like all all that stuff I really uh, I really liked, but like the, the idea that she goes back after that or the, the, um, I feel like the, the conversation with the writers maybe could have been a little more raw or de- developed a little more, like uh, a little harder hitting. Um, but the fact that she goes back after that and like what happens, well, she can just kind of magic her way, uh, magic her way out of everything because like what she's in control of her own narrative or something like that. This, this is the thing that I found sort of unsatisfying uh, thematically. And I, we were talking about it in a, in our Slack and um, Oh, I forget. I forget who said it. Was it Ben Adams who said, uh, you know what? It, it should have resolved as a courtroom drama. Right. Yes. That that like what what she should... said it in the show. She was like, "This should be a courtroom drama," and then they didn't do it as a courtroom drama. Yeah, and yeah. that that like the the um. Sorry, I'm not. I, I feel like I said it better in Slack. I want to want to like oh, yeah. read back. <laughs> want to read back my read back my messages. But that the the um the kind of po- post punching through the post fourth wall breaking. Uh, the the post uh, meta moment. The the moment at which the the reality is is. Uh, is deconstructed, or if you will, she constructed, um, <laughs> is uh, right. Like, does not re- kind of return. Doesn't circle around back to the the kind of overarching reality of the show, where um, uh, where it's a courtroom drama, where it's uh, where it's Ally McBeal, right? Like, she should come back and just Ally McBeal harder. Uh, the 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 you know, I don't know the kind of meta jujitsu, uh, the meta judo, I should say, should uh, translate into a kind of Ally McBeal judo uh, that, you know, I don't know, wins, wins her a case or something against the, uh, what are they called? Um, the, the, I don't know, the, the bro. Intelligentsia. Oh, intelligentsia. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the coffee, uh, the, uh, never mind. The, um, the, those guys are not, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Those guys are not really dealt with in a way that's 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 satisfying, right? In a way that sort of rejects the premise of what they're trying to, uh, of what they're trying to do. Incoherent though their though their program of uh, of social change is. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because yeah, because she she tells Kevin the robot, so Kevin the AI, that she wants to have a climax that's appropriate for her character, and right. and so. 
part of that is why I, I, I don't mind the sort of quantum end of episode not uh, the second to last episode. I think it's episode nine as much as I might otherwise, because she actively says like, this is not the way the story should end. It should not end with she Hulk like raging. Right. And like, Oh no, she's the Hulk. Like that hasn't been the point of the whole story. And, and so what this is encountering is not so much the breakdown of who she Hulk is as a character as the engagement with the meta conversation that is part of the entertainment that people have about what these shows should be about. Right. Like people have a performance. There is a show you can watch called arguing about the Marvel cinematic universe. It is on the media all the time. It is an entertainment, right? Like, like you can go on multiple platforms and argue about the Marvel cinematic universe all the time. And that itself is at this point, a show that has its own kind of constructed rules and tropes and stuff. And I think that's one of the levels in which she Hulk is engaging with the inadequacies of its plots actively is like, well, you know, I'm of a party with the audience who also would be arguing about this. And I think that when, if I think about, okay, what they ended up doing is just skipping the climax. They skipped right to the denouement. They yeah. like, rather than give us a climax, they skip right to it. What would I have liked the climax to have been about? The most interesting story that She-Hulk was involved in was the leapfrog. And the, I, in terms of like gaining steam and letting you think there might be some sort of villain, which was that like, the leapfrog's father is a prominent client at her law firm. And so she can't go after the leapfrog with the law because if she does that, she will get fired by her law job, which she, she wants to keep because this is an Ally McBeal show and not like, you know, the Punisher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like like uh, she doesn't she doesn't want to leave her whole world behind. She doesn't want to be the Incredible Hulk who hitchhikes down the street. She wants to be the She-Hulk attorney at law who still has her law job. So like, yes, when you are threatened by your boss that you will lose your job if you do this thing, you don't just do it. That's not that kind of show. You have to come up with something clever and some sort of clever way around it so that you can have your cake and eat it too. Because these shows are all about really skinny people who get to have their cake and eat it too. Sure. Um, and so uh, it's apparently sugar-free cake. But, but okay, so looking at the pieces on the board, you have people who are high up in this law firm who are connected to like nefarious underhanded dealings that have antagonized real life superheroes. This is also a law firm that has founded a superhero division. We presume, I think, I think my baseline assumption was that the reason for this division to exist was nefarious, right? That like the, basically the, the law firm is involved in some sort of shady thing and She-Hulk is going to be used as kind of a fig leaf. She's not actually going to know what's going on. She doesn't know why this, this exists. And this is explained at least somewhat by the superheroes showing up for, for representation being like shady people. Mm. Right. And not like the real superheroes that we know and love. Todd, who is the villain of the show, is also a client of her of her firm and like one that spends a lot of money at her firm. Like, I feel like the conflict at the end of the story should be at her law firm. It shouldn't be if it involves intelligentsia, it should involve like them tracing the IP address of intelligentsia to like the break room of the law firm mm -hmm. and being like, oh, they're inside the house. Right. And and like, oh, OK, like that, that I, that to me feels like it has some momentum to it, because then what do you do? Then that's interesting. Um, the idea of finding them at at uh, Emil Blonsky's retreat is like, eh, like he's done. Don't I don't need any more of him. You know, like that's the whole point of his story. Right. Is he's he's over. Yeah, uh, I guess he's going to probably be part of the Thunderbolts or whatever. Maybe. I don't know. But it's like if the point of that story in that arc was that like She-Hulk defended him in court because he deserved to be defended 
then like let her be correct about him. You know, don't tell me that he's like, oh, he's secretly. Do we really believe that that character was secretly making speaking arrangements with the people that wanted to kill her? Like, like, yeah, sure, maybe in real life, but like <laughs> in an Ally McBeal show, I mean, I guess it would be like a betrayal. Yeah, and it wasn't, yeah. and that level of it is not is not dealt with at all. It's kind of like, yeah. oh yeah, this. I, gosh, my uh, my secretary booked this one, and like, I I, yeah. I do this, I do these speaking engagements, but like, uh, I had no idea that these were these uh, these were these people who were doxing you or whatever, right? Like, I mean, the, like, it's free speech for me to speak when they pay me, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah, he's like, I didn't know, <laughs> you know, like like that. You can even you can hold on to the politics that you want to express there, while that without like. Well, well, having Emil Blonsky's moral position in the show being clearer, which is only necessary because he's apparently a major character, right? And 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 uh, and because he's a Hulk, you know. And so the rules that Hulks have to abide by. You know what I was hoping this show was going to hmm. is as I was hoping we were going to have a Teen Wolf moment, uh-huh. where it was going to be revealed that like all of the banners are Hulks, uh, <laughs> right? Because because the thing with Todd shouldn't have worked. Right. Because they explain at the beginning that there's a special genetic factor in the banner blood or whatever blood it is that like allows the gamma radiation to create the response that it creates, that it wouldn't work for just everybody because otherwise gamma radiation would not be known widely as like a dangerous and deadly thing to have happen to you. Otherwise, everyone would be like, hey, give me that gamma radiation. Right. It'd be big and strong. But no, it only happens to specific people. And it's, it's sort of a freak accident that happened to one person. And hey, it's another freak accident that happened to two people who are related. Fine. You know, like, but once you've done that, it's like, what about a situation where she Hulk can't handle it? And she just like gives her blood to her whole family, <laughs> like, or like they're already at that. I think that would have been fun. I felt like we were, I liked cousin Larry in this show a lot. <laughs> I love cousin Larry. That was another direction it could have gone. in if you just wanted to make it a cute family thing, but, but yeah, I, I wanted to see she Hulk really confront the, uh, the relationship that she has with her boss. Um, and, uh, and have them arrive at, the sort of kind of mutually assured destruction kind of like, haha, you got me this time, but I'll get you next time. Yeah. So careful. Yeah. It's, it, that, that's funny. It's a version of the third act escalation that, that I was referring to before. Right. Because it, it created a bunch of, let's use the Eisenhower matrix, right? Like it, it created a bunch of confrontations that were very urgent, but not at all important. Right, right. You know, right. and that like you, what what you're pulling for, and I think what I you know what I was trying to advocate for when I was you know explaining what what was wrong with the, with um, not what was wrong. I, I, what are these things? I, we have such a, a, a negative yeah, I cast, know. and I and oh. it's part of the it's part of the culture and talking about these things, and I just don't I don't like it, right? But like, but we have to be able to talk about. We have to be able to talk about talk about things. I'm reminded a little bit like when Hamilton came out, there was a like that I felt like the online discourse was very stringently policed uh, <laughs> to, to the point where like you weren't allowed to say anything uh anything critical right like or or anything that that you know might have challenged the kind of like squee you know that that was like the only uh that was only the only reaction that it was allowed or else you were just like harshing everyone's mellow and that like i i don't i i didn't like that i didn't like that sort of policing of the discourse because it was like a little bit um a little bit like you know what we argue about you know what we have criticisms of like shakespeare you know we do uh, things that we take very seriously like things yeah. things things that are important to us things that we 
think matter. We talk about them in a particular way. And yet I, I think there is kind of a, like a, a, a default negativity to the, uh, to the way that the, the discourse around these things goes. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure I have a, I'm not sure I have a solution, uh, to it other than, uh, you know, popping out of the TV screen like I'm doing right now and, and, you know, climbing down to, uh, adjust the, the, adjust the terms of the discourse. But, but, you know, no matter how, how much you, she construct the narrative outside the narrative is just more narrative, right? Like, uh, you know, I don't know the, the outside the narrative are the conditions that, that gave rise to the narrative, right? You're not, you're not going to find like a better, purer world free of, of, uh, the endless chain of signification, uh, on the other side of the, the, uh, the Marvel screen, but the, um, you know, uh, that, that like, Oh, I just completely lost myself, Pete, in the in the the no, torture no, no. torture cul-de-sacs of let me, let me say this. of I'll my say own this. self of my own self righteousness. The 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 point I was trying to make was that the 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 problem that I had was that the 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 climaxes that there were didn't feel like the most important the most important climaxes, um, even if they seemed like the most urgent or the, the, mm, I don't know, loudest, uh, uh, particularly at the time. And that I, I, I feel like it, it, after the moment of catharsis, you kind of have to, to, the, the, there's a reason that the, 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 like the last stage in the hero's journey is called like master of both worlds, right? Um, or maybe that's not the last one, but near, near the end, right? You're master of both worlds. And, uh, she's sort of master, master of, of, of one world. And in a story where the, the, one of the big thematic points is being a, a superhero won't protect you from misogyny. Right. That the idea that like, oh, being a a, a meta narrative, being a master of meta narrative will protect you from X, Y or Z. Right. Will solve all of your problems in a in a kind of a cartoonish way, um, you know, seems to me not to deliver on the not to deliver on the premise in a way that was totally satisfying, though it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was fun. I think for me. When I think about like this discussion now, the, one of the words that comes to mind is just inspired. Like She-Hulk inspired me to think about She-Hulk. You know, like like what is She-Hulk's deal? What is what is this really? What does this mean? You know, from my estimation, where does it fit? You know, what sort of work of you know after modern, if not postmodern, you know, fiction is this? I, I want to overthink it. it. It it urges me to overthink it, and. Um, and one of the ways of overthinking it, I guess, is to think like if I want to resolve it to something that feels more clear, then I, I, I find myself kind of writing, writing and rewriting and, and kind of, I guess, what, misreading the story myself. Right. Like what is what is the misreading that for me comes to mind, like the tiger eating the kid at the end of Life of Pi, which, of course, happens. <laughs> it's like that's why I never watched that movie, because I don't want to see the tiger eat the kid. Because right? the that's, tiger, because the plot of Life of Pi is that the tiger eats, eats the kid. The kid. That is what happens. That is what happens. <laughs> but it also makes me think of like R.I.P.D. and like the great relationship that Ryan Reynolds had with his wife in that movie. And like, I, I guess the, the big the big moment from R.I.P.D. that comes to mind in relation to all this is like when he had he was like he looked like the Chinese guy. Right. He looked like an old Chinese man in that sure. movie. Uh, yeah, in a, in a bucket course, hat. He, yeah. in a bucket yeah. hat and a members only jacket. Yeah. Or whatever. And in a podcast, I talked about how I wished that he'd had a relationship with another old Chinese man who had died ah. like while they were having a relationship and that they could have seen each other. And so he could have seen the old man for the way he was when he was young, which, and then like the old man could have seen him for who he really was. And that would have been a very beautiful and poetic moment. Now, when I'm saying that, am I bashing RIPD? 
Well, the fun thing about RIPD is you don't have to, right? Like you don't have to, there's no pressure. Nobody cares whether you bash RIPD because it's such a flop, right? It's like, it's already debasing itself. Uh, so like, I don't have to worry about criticism of it, bashing it. I don't want to, I don't have to worry about undermining its political position. Um, you know, like if, if people could have conversations about, if people could have conversations about Star Wars movies that didn't feel like icky and gross and political, right? Like, and when I say I don't mean the political stuff is, is bad just because it's political, but rather that, um, that they involve infringing upon in the conversation, like things that for the people that you're talking to and about are like very upsetting, right? It's like, it's, it's personal stuff. It's like, this really bothers me. And, and, um, and I don't think that's at stake that much in some of the, in the things that we're saying about She-Hulk, right? Like we're not, we're not saying anything about She-Hulk. I think that would, that would bother anybody. Um, and so in, in sort of talking about the ways in which we might be inspired to understand this story as having different things happen in it than what happened. I don't think that we're like tearing it down, but it's so hard to do it in this, in this sort of um, habits of modern discourse and discussion. It is, you know what? Overthinking ain't easy. I'll tell you that much. Uh, you know, it takes work and we do it every week, uh, which is impressive. Um, but yeah, um, it it's was, impressive. was great. It's, yeah. it's impressive to us. I mean, and you know, look, we, <laughs> <laughs> looking back at it, it's like man this is this is there's so much here it's so much that's here the whole pot it's um, a whole whole uh 749 well, episodes of of uh subjecting let, yeah oh sorry let me, no, let me, let, no 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 let me float this to the discord members because we got members we got people on discord we got chatter about the show all the time if you're gonna here's a here's a question of the week for the show like if you're coming on the discord and you're gonna chat with us and if you want to find our discord channel it's on the website where we list the podcast and and Matt will tell you where it is. It's the name of everything. Um, where what's a what's a piece of fiction for you? Whether it's like literature, whether it's movie, TV, where you imagine like a different ending for it than the ending that it had. Mm, good and question. you and you feel that by doing it, doing that, you're like do, giving credit to it. You're not like tearing it down. You're not insulting it. You're like, no, but it gives me this inspiration for this story that could have ended in this other way that like I'm legitimately kind of excited about. Right. Like, I, if you have anything like that at all, if that's at all a familiar thing for you in engaging with these sorts of stories, I would love to hear your guys, you know, and gals opinions. Here's an, here's an example, right? At okay. the end of Thelma and Louise, right? Yes. Harvey Keitel yes. walks to the edge of the cliff like Biff Tannen in Back to the Future 2 walks to the edge of the building and then the car levitates up <laughs> and they open the door and knock him over. <laughs> the ultimate symbol of the male law being defeated. And he falls in a big pile of poop and goes, Menor! <laughs> That's what. <laughs> no, not stupid like that. Chills. Not yeah, exactly, not stupid right. like that, but not better. But better than what I just. Uh, better than what I just did. All right, let's do that as a as a uh, as a list for as a challenge to the reader. And if you'd like to join the Discord, get in on that conversation. I'll put a link to the Discord in the show notes. It'll be right at the top uh, of the show notes for this particular episode. Uh, it's good for. I, I try not to to let the links be good forever because then they're just a vector for spam to get in. So it's good for a week. From the publication of this uh, of this podcast episode, so you got one week to join the Discord. Um, 
using this particular link if you if you uh, if you would like to and get in on that uh, conversation. What is a is a uh, how how can you improve a beloved work? Uh, with an ending that you believe it has, even if it's not exactly the ending it has. Pete, I think we might have to leave the conversation there. So uh, it remains uh, for us only to thank all the people who are listening. To thank you, Pete, for uh, engaging this storied two-hander with me, your giant Bruce Banner, uh, a Hulk hand, you know, and my tiny little uh, Jennifer Walters, uh, Jennifer Wat- Walters, uh, Hulk hand you know uh holding each other uh in a in the forever arm wrestle of uh of the overthinking a podcast next week is 750 it's a it's a bit i like the round numbers they give us an opportunity to celebrate uh so we'll be back for that but until then you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve I mean, Daredevil was pretty hot. <laughs> Got to say that, right? I mean, he's always hot, right? Wasn't Daredevil? Who's the hottest member of the Defenders? There's only one wrong answer. And it's the immortal iron fist. <laughs> <laughs>